Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, this week, I, you know, it's kind of a character sketch, too, even though it's a, we're, we're really studying a book in the Bible. But it's also a study on this man that wrote almost a third of the New Testament. What am I holding? No, this is not a gift for mothers or there's nothing inside here, but questions. We are asking that at the end of this sermon and every sermon in this series, and we're going to have a, uh, a panel up here at the, whenever we do end, and we're going to have questions that are answered. Uh, we would like you to, if you, any questions that you may have, please, you have something in the bulletin, a piece of paper, write that question down. We can't answer every question every week. Last week, a couple of questions were actually asked, so we just talked a little bit after the meeting. Uh, but we really want to hear the questions that you may have as it pertains to this book that we're studying. So we hope you take advantage of that. Um, and, and I know a number of you have come up, and I appreciate that. And you've told me how much you like the fact that we're making it more interactive. And there is a, a, you have a voice. And that you can tell us what you're thinking and, and where you're at exactly. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't just say a few things about this book to reiterate. Uh, Paul is writing this book, the Apostle Paul is writing this from a prison cell. And he is in chains, right? He's in chains when he's writing this. And I have to say something to the effect about women. I had to insert something in the sermon. Now, usually, this is the first sermon in a long time that on Mother's Day that I haven't really talked about, given a, a typical Mother's Day message. And I just wanted to say to you, maybe you're a mother, you know, those women in the video and they head out and the, the men are home. Uh, pretty scary, right, gentlemen, right? When your kids are young, right? I'm there right now. It's definitely a scary proposition when your wife heads out for a full day or a weekend and you're stuck with the children. Well, I was thinking about feeling as a woman, feeling that you're trapped, feeling that you're chained at home. Well, I want you to look at this picture up here. This is a picture of Susanna Wesley. Susanna Wesley had 19 kids, before the Duggars on that TV show, right? That on a TLC, whatever channel that's on. 19 children. We are not, not going to push for that, all right? Two is good. 19 kids. Can you imagine that? Two of the boys, John and Charles Wesley, would rock the British Isles. And here is a woman that it looked like she was chained at home. Home, raising all of these kids... And just like it looked like Paul, who was in chains, that he, the, the gospel wasn't being furthered, well, I would like to tell you, you don't know what God is doing. Train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they're older, they will not depart from it. Do not be moved by what you see with your kids. Ask the pastors again about their own kids. Do not be moved. Right? Don't be moved. But understand that God, this is not going to stay here. Understand that God, in fact, is working. And who knows what will happen with your kids one day. Maybe God will use one of your kids. And there will be some guy up here preaching about one of your kids and what you did as a mother. So I thank you for what you've done. I thank my mother. I thank my wife. All of you uh, for the wonderful uh, service that you've given. Now, let me start this sermon. This, uh, here, here's how I want to start it. Just look at your arms. Uh, just look at your body, everything. Does anybody have any gold on? You have any gold on? A necklace? A bracelet? Anything? A ring? Right? I would think so. Okay. Everybody? You, all right. All right. Okay. Let me show you a verse now. Paul writing to Timothy. I'm not even getting into Philippians yet, but this is Paul writing to Timothy in 2.9. 
He talked to men first, and now he's talking to women. In like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold, or pearls or costly clothing. That was not part of it. The cell phone is... I I don't see anything pertaining to that. But what's interesting in this text here, here's what I want you to see. With our Western eyes, we read a text like this, and we think Paul is talking about uh, sexual, you know, uh, apparel, in, in not looking too sexy in church. That's not really what he's talking about. He's talking about not being too gaudy or economically that you're showing off all the gold and, and all the stuff that you have here. So, but we want to be a biblically centered church. So if you do have any gold, I would ask the ushers, you come up. We just pass it to the center aisle and we would take it again. We want to be a church that follows the Bible. Well, why am I bringing up gold? Well, the reason why I'm bringing up gold is because, again, we are going to wade through some history. You're going to have to stay with me. If the person next to you falls asleep, just nudge them with your elbow ever so slightly. Wake them up. Um, the story I want to tell you starts here about 2,500 years ago. And I'm going to get, it's going to start in Philippi. I'm going to back into chapter 2 of the text. So giving you my thesis, I'm going to back into the chapter we're looking at in Philippians. Well, here's why I mentioned gold. About 2,500 years ago, they discovered gold in a coastal area in Macedonia. The king of the area was this gentleman. Here's a, his bust, Philip II. Right, of Macedon. And when he found this gold there, he said, how do I use this gold to my advantage? He commandeered that gold for himself, right in this area. And he said, I'm going be- to build a beautiful city there. He had slaves, tons of slaves that were there, and they mined for all of this gold in this region. He set up a garrison right outside the area to protect this region. And he said, all of this gold is going to be mine. Anyone want to guess what he named this place? Who he named it after? Shocker, he named it after himself. All right. This is Philippi. This is the the person that it's named after. Why Why am I not doing this in the first week? You'll see in a little while. If you're wondering, James, you gave me some history two weeks ago about Philippi. Well, I couldn't give you this history because it's tethered to really the second chapter of, of, uh, of Philippians. So he, named it, he names it after himself, but he's a king that really is, he's feared, but he's not loved and adored and respected, and he's ultimately assassinated. Now, this, his son will take over. I guarantee you've all heard this name before. Alexander the Great, right? We've all heard this name before. Alexander the Great. Some of you are like, geez, great. I'm in history class again. All right, for a little while you are. Well, Alexander the Great used the gold that was there in this coastal area and what now became known as Philippi. He used the gold there to, um, to fund his military expeditions in conquering the world, Alexander the Great. The only problem was at the age of 32 years old, he would die. And the day that he died, his kingdom began to disintegrate. 2,500 years ago, real history. Now, fast forward a couple, we don't hear of anything about Philippi. So this is before the time of Jesus. If you're wondering, before the time of Jesus, we don't hear of anything about Philippi for a few hundred years, right? Until, put another name up there, you have the name Caesar Augustus. Now, Caesar Augustus 
you may know this name from. He is, he's in a tussle. He's battling over control of Rome with Cassius and Brutus. Remember, the, they, they're the ones that assassinate uh, Julius Caesar. Et tu, Brute? All right, remember that? You with me? All right. So they get into a fight here. They get into a quarrel, more than a quarrel. And Caesar Augustus is able to easily defeat Cassius and Brutus. Easily defeats them. After they're defeated, Cassius and Brutus will commit suicide. Honor. Couldn't take the fact that they were actually defeated. And the rise of Caesar Augustus at what is known as the Battle of Philippi is of pivotal, it's of vital importance that we understand this as we're looking at this book. Because it's at this spot, the Battle of Philippi. You know what started here in Philippi? Emperor worship. Emperor worship. This is where it starts. This is the man. This is real history. Now let me take you to right before the time of Jesus. Love this stuff. Here we go. 9 BC. This is an inscription that archaeologists found... And there are many like this. I just picked one. And this is an inscription from somebody. Now, I want you to look at the language up there. Augustus is a savior for us. He's the Caesar. He's the head of Rome, right? Now, they use this language for the Caesar, the savior. And those who come after us, the birthday of the God Augustus was the beginning for the world. Now, I want you to notice this last phrase of the glad tidings. Now, what is that word, the glad tidings? Euangelion. Can you say that? Euangelion. All right. Euangelion is actually, you know what it means? It means the good news. It means the gospel. Ooh, wait, wait. You're telling me this is 9 BC before Jesus ever walked the face of the planet, before the epistles are ever written, that the Romans actually are the ones that use this term, use that word, the gospel. They use that phrase, the good news. I'm here to tell you, yes, they did. The church did not start this. You and Gelion, what this meant was Caesar is Lord. Everybody had to say it. Emperor worship, every Roman citizen was required to give their allegiance and obedience to the Caesar. And the Caesar was deified. They were deemed as being a god in Roman society. Are you all with me so far? Good. And just to fast forward, those individuals that chose not to bow their knee and say that Caesar is Lord. Here's one, for example, a guy by the name of Polycarp. This is 155 AD. This is about 100 years after the Apostle Paul. Well, what happened with this guy is he's a bishop of an area called Smyrna. And what they were doing is they were exterminating all the Christians. They were persecuting them. They would take them into these huge arenas and they would just execute them. Well, here is this bishop of this place called Smyrna. He's almost 100 years old. Almost 100. The magistrates gather him there. The bloodthirsty crowd yelling, kill him, kill him. They, you know, obviously they want to see blood. They, they, they feel so bad for the guy, the magistrates, because he's so old. They say, curse your Lord and live. Curse your Lord, Polycarp, and we'll let you live. We'll let you walk right out of this arena. Are you kidding me? 
This is what a human being said in 155 AD when they told him to say, Caesar is Lord. He said, no, there is another one who came and his name is Jesus. And he is in fact Lord. And he says those words, 80 and six years have I served him and he has done me no wrong. How, I, how dare I blaspheme the name of my king and Lord. Real history, a real human being said this. And as soon as he said that, they lit him on fire and he became a martyr. Real history. People during this time had to swear and say that Caesar was indeed Lord. Well, getting back to Philippi, Philippi is a very strategic city. You see, not only did it have the gold, but it was a main gateway. I've put up pictures before in the series of where Rome was. And it was really the gateway. If you wanted to get to uh, Asia, if, you know, getting that way, it was the pathway that you would go through. It's that, it's that hub that's right there. If you wanted to go to the Middle East, you went through Philippi, a very strategic location. Now, some things that you have to see before I get to the end, laying all the history out. Philippi is in Macedonia. Macedonia is what we now think of as Greece, not Greece. That's what you think of it as. Well, what happened then? If that was what we now think of as Greece, it became a Roman colony, emperor worship. You see, in other words, the people that are in Philippi there, they're elite citizens of Rome. The Romans are starting colonies all over the place. But in Philippi especially, you're going to have a lot of wealthy people that are there, that are gathered there, that are living there. And this means, put this in the back of your mind, they have certain legal rights and they have certain privileges. Now, where am I getting some of this info? It was a great book I came across this week called Reconstructing Honor in Roman Philippi. And I would let you, it's, you're probably going to fight me for it, but if you would like to borrow it, I'm going to pass a sheet around at the end. And you sign up for it. You can borrow it for a week and then somebody else borrows it for a week. Okay? With me on that? Good. I need some water and there's no water up here. The one week I need water and there's no water. Bear with me with my voice. Do you, do you mind my voice? All right. You got to fight. It's a fight. It is. Life's a fight. All right. So, next step. I have more history. All right? I have more history for you. Now, let me show you, there is a hierarchy in Rome, status for the people. Let me take you through this social hierarchy that you have to see. So blow your mind. Starting at the top, I want to take you all the way down. At the top of the list, in all of Rome, in all of their colonies, at the top you had what was known as the Senate. At one time, there are about 600 members. These are the elite of the elite, all right? Below them, you have what are known as the equestrians. If you were wealthy enough to actually purchase a horse and bring that horse into battle, um, that's what you were basically called. And kind of amazing when you think about it, um, that in a society that they would attach status to a mode of transportation. What kind of people would ever do that? <laughs> right? We would never do things like that. Of course not. All right? Then below them... You have the Decurians, right? Not many of them, a small percentage of people. Then you have, I'm not going to bore you to death. Then you have Romans. You know, some of you are like, yeah, you already are. Roman citizens. Now, a Roman citizen meant that you had certain rights. You had due process of law. 
you could vote. Did you get those two? You need to know these. Due process of law, you could actually vote. You're a Roman citizen. Now, only 2% of the population would fit into these categories. Did you hear what I said? 2% of the population fits into these categories. Now I take you to the bottom, the freedmen. All right? A lot of people there, they had liberty, but they're not Roman citizens. Who do you think's on the bottom? The very bottom. Slaves. There we go. All right? And you have slaves on the very bottom. Now, if you were a slave, you could be put in an area or you could be with a master, somebody that treated you fairly well. But you had absolutely no rights in any Roman colony. You had no rights. Your master could exterminate you, just get rid of you whenever they wanted to for no reason. They didn't have to, it didn't have to be a justifiable reason. There was no law. There was no code. If they wanted to get rid of you, they could treat you however they wanted to. Kind of, I mean, kind of crazy, but this is the world that Paul is talking about. This is the world that they live in. And so since society is arranged vertically, they called it what was known as the race of honors, the race of honors. What do I mean by that? I mean that even like in excavating in Philippi, they found one tombstone. A father buried his son. Before he even put his son's name on the tombstone, he listed all of the titles that his son had. All of society back then was about titles. You climbed the ladder as high as you could go. You got, and within each one, like in the Senate, there are five offices. There were all these different uh, titles that you could get within each section, the, the social stratification. So there was a way for you to keep moving up the ladder. I have to stop again. Are you with me? All right, good. So in this race of honor, everybody knew where they were on the ladder. It was very competitive and you wanted to keep moving up. Now, the opposite of being exalted is what? What would you say the word is? All right, I like that word. How about humbled, right? Humbled. The opposite of being exalted is being humbled. Nobody, everything I read, nobody in Roman society wanted to be humbled. It was, you know, we look at certain virtues. Humility was a tragedy. That's what one author, that's how they put it. In this time, during this time, it was a tragedy. Nobody was humble. It wasn't something that you wanted to do. And there were individuals that lost their status. Maybe you were a senator one day and then you lost that status. You were terrified to have that happen. You wanted to hold on to your status any way you could. You wanted to stay on the top. But let me tell you, when it came to like obedience, I mean, you look at the slaves, they had to give their obedience. But in other levels, you didn't give your obedience. You wanted to climb up. It was just about competition. How do I make my way up this ladder in society? How do I get out of where I am right now and get where I want to go? You know the conversation James and John have with Jesus? You know the conversation I'm talking about when they say, hey, um, when we come to your kingdom, uh, can you grant us one favor that one of us is on your right and one of us is on your left? You know what that's all about? That's what they're talking about here. You see, it's not about being close to Jesus. And I bet most of you probably thought that. That's not what that means. It was put us up here. We want to be at the top. We don't want to be close to you. Understand this, at feasts and gatherings, in other excavations, auditoriums, arenas, it was clearly marked out where you sat. You had the senators were here. You had the equestrians here. You had um, the slaves who were over there, freedmen, and so on. 
God help you if you tried to leave your area and sit in another area. Oh, you were not allowed to do so. There were strict rules. And getting back to what I was referencing before, when James and John say that and why the disciples get so mad, the most, it wasn't like you sat down at a meal and it was like, I want my best friend to sit here and I want somebody else to sit here. You sat around your, uh, the table. The person that was on your right was the person that, that had the highest status at the meal. The person on your left had the second highest status and so on. Everything in society, especially in Philippi, was all about status. Can I read you this quote? Rome was the most status-conscious society in the ancient Mediterranean world. And no city, no city is more obsessed with status than Philippi. Wow. This is, the, this is what we're talking about. When we read this book, I hope you're getting a bigger picture. How about their dress in the ancient world? Anybody have a toga on today? I'm looking at, when I came in, I was checking. Anybody, you have a toga on? Oh, no? All right. Well, how about this? You could only wear a toga during this time, if you were actually a Roman citizen or moving up. Now, when you look at them, they're quite cumbersome, right? Your, your, your left arm is kind of, you know, it's held in place. Uh, your left arm, I know my left and my right. Your right arm is open and available and you can move it around. Now, in the summer, I, I was saying they're cumbersome. Usually it was very hard for slaves to learn how to wrap people, you know, their masters in these togas. So... In the summertime, very hot. In the wintertime, it was very cold. Why would they do this? They didn't care. It was all about status. And within, on the toga, there were certain beads and threads that you would put on, signifying, letting other people know what your status was. Can you imagine a world where people were defined by the clothes that they wore? Really? Come on. Are you kidding me? Not in our world. That's what's going on here. So when you saw somebody walking around with a toga, they wore it with pride. They wanted you to know exactly where they were. Oh, there's the purple there. Oh my gosh, that, that person's, you know, look at them. They're an equestrian. Oh, they're a senator. That's what you wanted your kids to know, that it was all about status. You wanted them to know who you were and who they were and who they were going to become and who their kids were going to become. And you never looked down at those other people in the social classes. You didn't look down at them. You just wanted to climb up. You just wanted to stay where you were. This is Philippi. And there's a, you know, when you think, when you think about it, you have to look at it that nobody gives up their status really voluntarily, right? Don't, aren't we amazed at stories of people that give up their status, what they have voluntarily? Aren't you amazed by that? Do you want to hear a story? Of course you don't, but you're going to hear it. I was kidding. You probably do by this point. There is a man by the name of Vytold Pileski. Now, there's a picture of him. In September of 1940, he was a Polish army captain. He did the unthinkable. You know what he did? He snuck into Auschwitz. Did you hear what I said? Yes. The same death camp you think? Yes. That Auschwitz. Snuck into Auschwitz. You see, he had heard and others had heard about the atrocities that were being committed there. And he wanted to document everything. Went to his superiors. They, you know, they came up with this plan and he said, I'm going to go in, I'm going to document everything and I'm going to try to bring that out. I'm going to get out at some point. I'll extricate myself. I'll bring that information out and then we can share it with the rest of the world of the heinous crimes that are being committed there in that death camp. They went along with it. I mean, they, um, 
They, uh, they gave him an, he's sent in there. He's given an inmate number, 4859. They gave him a false identity card with a uh, Jewish name. He let himself be arrested at a, at, a, uh, at a roundup. The Germans were coming in. He's on a, a normal Warsaw Street pickup. He's arrested there. And this is what he wrote. He said, I bade farewell to everything I had known on this earth. I became just like any other prisoner. By the way, he was a husband, had a, fa- a father of two. Um, I, was, I was just like any other prisoner. I was despised. I was beaten and threatened with death. From inside the camp, he writes, the game I was now playing at Auschwitz was dangerous. In fact, I had gone far beyond what people in the real world would consider dangerous. In the spring of 1943, Pilecki joined the camp bakery. He was able to overthrow one of the guards that was there, and he escaped. Not only does he get in, he's able to get out of Auschwitz. He gets out of Auschwitz. He brings the information to his superiors, gave up everything voluntarily. Who does that in a society? Who gives up their status? Who puts their life at risk when they don't have to? That's what this man did. This is the picture of what he looked like inside the concentration camp. Are you kidding me? Somebody really did that? Brought the information to the British. They thought he was exaggerating. But the world would find out not much later that it was indeed true. All of the atrocities that were taking place there. Amazing. Well, back to Philippi. Why did I give you all this history? You ready? If you're awake, this is the best part of the sermon. I'm going to take a pause. I'm going to take a drink. You see, this is where things get really interesting because Paul's going to go to Philippi and he's going to start preaching the gospel. Do you remember two weeks ago, um, I talked about in the book of Acts, Acts 16, I'm not even getting into Philippians 2 yet. There's a story, it's tethered to this chapter and Paul goes there and what happens when he actually goes in there and, and I'll show you, I'll put up the, here's the, here's the first verse right there. Let me tell you what's um, preceding this. If you weren't here two weeks ago. So Paul is there with Silas and they're there and there, there's some Bibles over there and they're preaching, right? They're preaching the good news. What are they saying? Jesus is Lord. What have I taught you this morning? Who is Lord? Caesar is Lord. Pretty dangerous. You're putting your life on the line, right? To say that. Okay. Now, there is a young girl, a slave girl, right? She uh, is is possessed by a demon. They exorcise the demon from this girl, this young slave girl. And her masters, who have used her as a fortune teller, are incensed. They take Paul. They take Silas. They take, you know, they tell the magistrates, look what's going on. And then we read here. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. I hope the light bulbs are starting to go off. It's just the beginning. Are you kidding me? Not lawful for us being Romans. We're not allowed to talk about this. We're not allowed to say that Caesar is Lord. Oh gosh, what is going on here? What is going on? Then you take it further. Look, in verses 22 and 23, then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Pretty harsh language. Look at what has happened to these individuals. Beaten with rods. 
Paul doesn't know what's going to, he could have been, I mean, does anybody like, do you voluntarily just get beat? Does anybody want to do that? Well, I did it. I did it. You're like, you did? Yeah, yeah. Some time ago, when I was in college, this is, I told you the other day, it's today. I'm inserting this in my sermon today. Some years ago, I did martial arts. Pastor Linda was like, you know what? I really think you should do martial arts. This is when I was in college. I'm kidding. She didn't, definitely didn't want me to do that. She's like pointing a finger at me. But I was doing like jujitsu. And I wasn't, one of my friends got me into it. And I was like, whatever, I'll go. So there I am with this crazy lunatic. The guy has the reputation as the craziest guy on Long Island. My brother's laughing. Remember this? The tests, like he'd throw like real knives at you. Real knives, right? Here I am going, I didn't, and I stayed. What? I stayed. What a moron. I stayed in the class for a couple of years. And then the day came when I got like my orange belt. It was like a yellow belt and your orange belt. And I walk into the dojo and the guy's hiding and he pops out with weapons and he starts beating me. Now, at this point, most normal human beings, you leave. You leave the dojo and go, I, I am not doing this. I'm not paying some man to beat me physically, right? But I stayed. I toughed it out. I left not long after that. I'm kidding. So here you go back to the story, right? So they're, abs- they're being beaten. Now take it forward. What do we know? What's the next part of the story? They get jailed. They don't say anything here. Paul has not said anything. Silas has not said anything. They are put in jail. What happens in the jail at midnight? There's a great earthquake. I mean, they're singing songs. They're having church. They're having a great time. Like John, right? You sang that song today. I picture them in jail. They're making their own songs up. The inmates are singing with them. Everybody's having a good time. There's a great earthquake and all of the cells come wide open. Everybody's shackles come off and everybody's released. And what do they do? They choose to stay there and they go home. They wind up making a long story short. They go home with the jailer. They take the jailer home. What must I do to be saved? You know, call on the name of the Lord right now. He becomes a Christian, a Christ follower. His whole family becomes Christ followers. They're baptized at the house. He takes care of Paul's wounds, takes care, of, takes care of Silas's wounds. Are you kidding me? What's going on in this story? You're in Philippi. The question is, why in the world would Paul not tell everybody that he's a Roman citizen? Look, he's a Roman citizen. Look, here's the next, here's the next part. And it was day. The magistrate sent the officers saying, let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans. Many translations say Roman citizens. You have to see it there and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. Paul is a Roman citizen. Why didn't he just say it from the start? He could have spared himself this beating. Oh, the apostle Paul. You know what's going on here in this text? You know what's going on in Philippi? He's creating a Jesus colony. He's taking the Jesus movement. He's taking it farther. And he's saying, yes, I'm a Roman citizen, but I'm going to identify with the rest of these people in Philippi. And there are slaves and there are freedmen and not everyone's together. And there's black and there's white and there's Jew and there's Greek and there's slave and there's free. And we're going to be one big happy family. Are you seeing this? This should blow your mind. Blew my mind as I'm studying this. He lets himself get beat. Who is this man 
We talk to Christmas about Jesus going through history. I look at this man, the one that came after Jesus, and he spearheads the movement. Are you kidding me at some of the things that he's doing here? He's saying, look, we're going to eat. We're going to live. You're going to share your life together. And here he is. He suffers humiliation, pain, and the risk of dying for the sake of the people he loved. He doesn't know if he's going to die. Do you see that in the text? He doesn't know if this is his last day. He doesn't know, hey, don't beat me too hard. I'm trying to send a message. What was the message like to the other people in Philippi? Did they know he'd already met Lydia? The jailer, he'd already been with him. Do you think they knew he was really a Roman citizen? I don't know, but if they did, it must have blown their minds that here is a man in honor, status, uh, seeking Philippi that is willing to give up his status as a Roman citizen and climb down. Who does that in, in Rome? Nobody does that in a Roman colony. He's willing to give up his reputation. He's willing to give up his status for everyone that's there. And I love this when you think about it. He's trying to, what does humble love look like? He knows that there are going to be slaves one day that can't claim citizenship. That they're going to be out there and saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. And they're not going to be able to say, I'm a Roman citizen. So he says, you know what? All of you slaves out there, I'm going to identify with you and you and you. Are you kidding me? This is a real story. This happened in the Bible. There was a man that did this. Oh, friends, this is not a fairy tale. That's why I started with the history. You have to know this is a real, real story that you can bank your life on. Now, understanding that, you can move into the story of Philippians. Who is he following? Who is this man, Paul, and who is he following? Letting himself get beat, giving up his reputation, giving up his status. I'll tell you one, Philippians 2 now, starting in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, friends, you're at the top of the cosmic ladder. It doesn't get any higher than that. This is called the kenosis passage as you get into verse 7. And even, oh gosh, uh, do I get into that? No, I'll wait. Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, a slave, and coming in the likeness of men. The kenosis passage, emptying, just emptying out who he was, giving it all up and saying, you know what, I'm laying my will down for your divine will, God. That it's all about you, what you want to do. Oh, Paul was following a dishonored slave. A slave following a dishonored slave. That's who Paul was and that's who Christ is. When Paul writes these words, he's thinking about that story I just explained to you. When the Philippians are reading this story, they know what he did. They know that he got beat. They know that it was probably within inches of his life. They're amazed. You've read this probably a thousand times. I bet it makes sense now. Probably for the first time you really see it. It's the first time I really saw it and really studying it. When I did a Bible study a couple of years ago, I didn't even get into this. But it's wild. There's just so much there. It's endless. Oh, how about this? And being found in appearance as a man. Stop. Boop, boop, boop. He's taught Paul saying, yeah, you know what? In your society and how people dress and how they look and you wear togas, who cares about all that stuff? It doesn't matter. Look what Jesus did. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. No, no, no. Not just death. Even death on the cross. 
Do you understand? It's one thing to die as a slave, right? One thing to die, but then as a crucified slave? Are you kidding me? It doesn't get any lower than that. Paul is following again a dishonored slave. And listen, crucifixions were not used for Roman citizens and above. If you were a Roman citizen and above, you could never be crucified. They wouldn't do it to you. But not if you were a slave. And then moving on, 9 through 11. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Who's not Lord? Caesar isn't Lord. No rock star is Lord. No athlete is Lord. No CEO is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And one day, everybody will get on bended knee and they will say it. That's what he's saying. How subversive, saints. How subversive. Get into the cultural context. How subversive to write those words that Jesus Christ is Lord. Sorry, there is another person that is actually Lord, and it's not Caesar. Sorry to burst your bubble. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about him. How about how he starts all his letters? You want to see this? This blew my mind. Look at this. This is how Paul starts his letter to the Galatians. Paul, an apostle. I want you to notice something. Here you go. Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Now, here you go. Paul, and he adds Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Slaves. Honor statusing Philippi. You keep trying to climb up the ladder, but I'm here to tell you, I worship one that came all the way down the ladder to the floor. He couldn't, he went down to the basement. He couldn't go any lower. And that's what I want to do. And that's what I do in my life. And that's what you all need to do. Not you saying to the people at Philippi, but yeah, we need to do that too. Are you kidding me? That's what the church is. It is rich and poor. It is black and white. It's people from all different backgrounds, all different makeups. We come together as a family. It doesn't mean we have everything worked out. It doesn't mean life is easy. But it means we gather around one who died on that cross, who said, I will give up my, my reputation. I'll come down the cosmic ladder because I love you. That's what humility, you want to you know what humility looks like? It's this. That's what it is. I love what one person said. One scholar, glory and honor come when you climb down. When you humble yourself, you get lifted up. When you empty yourself, you get filled up. When you lower yourself, you get exalted. When you forget yourself, you get remembered. Wow. Did you hear that? We live in a culture, though, it's all about ourselves. How high can... Aren't you sick of climbing? Aren't you sick of the titles and everything else? Paul is saying it doesn't matter. Our world in the 21st century, I went through the history because I want you to see our world is no different. What, what clothes you wear, what car you drive, what occupation you have, it's no different. And we do it in here. I do it and you do it. And we judge other people by the way they look. And Paul's saying, look, if you want to be the body of Christ and you want to, you want to do it right, you better start hanging out and breaking bread with people that, you know what, you normally would never hang out with. And people that don't look like you, they don't talk like you, they don't act like you, they don't look, what, you better start hanging out with them. What's heaven going to be like? What's heaven going to be like? Is it going to be the flames of heaven, not the flames of hell? 
When you get there one day and you see people that you didn't like and you're hanging out with them, how does, I don't know how that's all going to work out, but really, let's think about it. The people that you don't like that maybe are Christians, that you don't respect, you don't admire, those are the same people you're going to be in heaven with. I'm preaching on myself. How's that? Chew on that for, for the week. What's heaven going to be like? You think about that? All different tribes, all different tongues. I don't like the way those people act. I don't like the way they talk. I don't like the food they eat. Yeah, that's the world we live in. And you're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself if you don't walk around with those, those ideas. We all do. We all do. But I'm just saying, what's the world going to be like? All right, I'm almost done. I promise. Philippians 2, 3, 4, going backwards. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Really? 21st century America? Wow. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Wow. You know what he said at the end of chapter one? I didn't put it up on the PowerPoint, but he says, whatever happens as citizens of heaven, He's writing to the Philippians and he calls them citizens of heaven. Why didn't he call them citizens of Rome? Why would he not just say, hey, you're all citizens. We're in this county. We're all citizens of Rome. You see, he realizes that our citizenship is not in a city on this earth. It's in heaven. It's in heaven. That's where our citizenship is. And he's saying, look, you have to understand it. Some of you are citizens of Rome and you're tempted, right? You're tempted to wear the toga and you're tempted to be climbers. You're tempted to keep going up. And there's some of you that are slaves and you're on the bottom and you're tempted to think that you're nobodies. And there are people in this room, you feel like that's where I am. I'm not a slave, but I'm a nobody. And you know, they had a term for that. Personus mediocribus. Just a nobody in Latin, just a nobody. That's what they used to know. You are somebody in this place. You have something to give this place. And God has a plan for your life. There, are, there, aren't, any, there aren't nobodies. God doesn't make things and just discard them or throw them away. Every single one of us in here have something to give the kingdom of God. God wants to use you somehow. But where is the humility? Where is the humility? Because I don't see it a lot of times. I don't. I'll go around to groups, places, different things. It doesn't exist. I've said it to my parents. I've been around as a kid watching my parents go places. And I'm like, I can't even go to some meetings sometimes because I, 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 where's their humility in the room for the other leaders of the place? Not me, my, I'm talking about my parents as a kid growing up or people that have all the answers. You have all the answers. I don't want to be around you. I'm here on Sunday. I'm here to teach. You find me outside of Sunday, ask people, that I don't think I have all the answers. I don't. I'm telling you again for the millionth time, I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything. I love history. I love theology. I'm a teacher. I'm learning just like you. But I want to know more. And so we come to this table. And I think about the one who pointed to this one. I think about Paul. And how he gave up his reputation and said, I don't care if I'm beaten. He didn't look at citizenship as something to hold on to. He said, I'm going to give it up voluntarily because I want to be identified with those people. You bet when I go to heaven one day, you bet I'm going to be watching the videotape of that. Because now I understand the story. I understand a man, when he pens those words, he's thinking back in his mind to what happened. 
in the book of Acts, 10 years prior. He's thinking back to the beating that he took, probably within inches of his life. He's thinking about what happened, but he's ultimately pointing to one who died before him on the cross and gave himself, came all the way down again, that cosmic ladder, gave up his whole reputation. Didn't have to, but he did it. So Lord, Lord, I thank you for what you did. Lord, in emptying yourself, the Godhead, giving up that there came a day when the father said, now is the time. And you said, I'm going to give up my status. Sitting at the right hand of God, I'm going to become a human being and live among them. Wow. How we miss it. It's still a mystery. None of us have it figured out. But we get a small glimpse here and there. And I hope this morning, Father, people got a small glimpse of what you really did. And, and Lord, I thank your, your servant Paul for what he did. Father, I will never look at him the same. I see a real man writing this book. Real tears, real flesh, real pain, real anguish, brilliant beyond belief, the Pharisee of Pharisees, the teacher of teachers, but a real man wrestling with issues just like we wrestle with today. Father, help us in here to really exhibit and be characterized by humility. May we be servants in this place. Amen. You know what? I'm going to say something even after. Before, before we even do the table here, I just wanted to say something. I didn't know if I was going to share it, but I am very quickly. I would like to say there are people in this place, as I was talking to Pastor Linda yesterday, I said, it's amazing some of the people in this place and how they've exhibited servanthood. And maybe you haven't been around here a long time, but I was thinking about the Cliff. Is Cliff here today? Cliffy? I was thinking about people like Cliff. There was a birthday party for Cliff the other day. He just turned 72. He doesn't look it, right? But just turned 72. And and this is my take. No one's perfect, but no task beneath this man. I I see a Mary right there. You don't know half of the things that Mary does on a daily basis to go above and beyond what she's supposed to do. Joanne. Dana, there was so, Lee, Lee, you've done the chairs for 30 years in this place. Never once did he give up, make, you know, call up the pastors and say, hey, look, I can't do it this week. Somebody else has to do it. Every week I came in this morning at six o'clock and I'm like, every single week, this place is the way it's supposed to be. What if we had, listen, what if we had a thousand of them? What if you became one of those people and said, what can I do in this place? How can I show you? How can I be a servant? I don't care what it is. You want me to clean toilets, whatever it is. You, you need me to be a teacher. I have that gift. You want me to help out with Sunday school, whatever it is, get involved. Stop, stop being a spectator. Get out of the stands and get in the game. Oh, sorry. Watch this. I, I want to thank you as one of the pastors for all you've done. All of you, Steve, all of you. Joe, all the work that you've done in laying your lives down for this place. When people say, where is Jesus in this place? Don't look at me. Look at those other people. Point to them. Don't point to your pastors. Yeah, we're teachers and we do things and we love you. But point to those other people. You're the church. We're not the You're the church. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.